Welcome to another episode of the People Over Perks podcast. In each episode, we go behind the scenes with a people operations leader and uncover how they're building a high performance culture in their company. In today's episode, we speak with Jessica Hayes, the VP of People and Talent at Whereby. We speak to Jessica about how she's building PeopleOps as a product, how she approaches building her HR budget, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay. So Jessica, thanks for joining us today on the, on the People Over Perks podcast. And, thanks uh, for having me. Let's, uh, let, let's kick off then. Um, you are the, the VP People and Talent at Whereby. Um, to start with, I'd love to hear a bit about what Whereby is. Um, and uh, can you kind of set the context for us in terms of uh, you know, the size of the company and, and the growth phase? Yeah, absolutely. So Whereby is a video meetings platform. Um, we pride ourselves in being a place where better meetings happen. We um, have kind of created a space that uh, reduces Zoom fatigue um, and is a bit more friendly uh, in terms of usability and UX and UI. Uh, you can join one click in your browser. You don't need to download any extensions, um, but it's also just designed with like calm in mind and kind of ability to work, uh, I guess, cohesively and in a human way. Um, and it also has an API product as well. So if you're building a platform, so maybe a medical platform or like a nail salon, maybe, and you want to do video consultations, you can build, like ingrain that, in, integrate that, sorry, into your uh, app by using Webby Embedded, which gives you like an API to use video platforms on your own product. Um, we are about a hundred people, actually. I think we're probably just crossing the hundred thresholds uh, this week, um, and which it's kind of crazy, actually. I think we were this time last year we were twenty-five, so it's um, that that gives you some of the context of the growth phase that we're in. Um, a lot of it's very much kind of catching up. Obviously, coronavirus has been devastating to so many industries, but it's been an incredibly uh, kind of momentous, uh, I guess, period for video conferencing and video communications and working remotely, which is kind of the space that we work in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ourselves are a fully remote team as well. So um, yeah, that's, I think, a bit of the context. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Thank you for that. And, um, and so how would you describe your role in a nutshell? I, you said this question over and I thought about it for a while last night about like, how do I describe it? It's so complicated. I feel like I listened to this BBC podcast the other week about bullshit jobs. And like, if you can't describe your job simply, then maybe your job shouldn't exist. And I was like, feeling a bit self-conscious that I couldn't just come up with it quickly. But yeah. I think um, there's a quote that says like, work will never make you truly happy, but it can make you bloody miserable. Um, and I think it's my job with my team to do everything we can to prohibit work from making you bloody miserable. We can never make you perfectly happy, um, but we do the best we can to make people's working lives um, safe and enjoyable and um, yeah, co- co- cooperative and collaborative, I guess. Cool, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good, good description. And, um, and so you mentioned that Whereby is, is fully remote. Um, and uh, obviously, as a, as a VP People and Talent, your job is obviously dealing with the team <laughs> very, very much. And uh, how, how has that been for you? Is that the first time that you've done a, a, a remote VP level role? Um, so it's the first time I've been permanently fully remote. Um, I've worked in teams that have had um, distributed and hybrid teams for quite a while. So in Wonderbly, we had a distributed team in Portugal. We had some members of the team working in Brazil and America. Our customer success team was fully global and remote. Um, so I've already always had that kind of element uh, for the last couple of years. And I've previously done a bit of consulting work and interim work with other fully remote companies. Um, but this is the first time I've joined a company permanently when I started remote, everyone was remote. It just was the kind of state of the union. Um, So it has been a little bit different in in that respect, for sure. And also, I mean, COVID just makes 
even normal remote and if you're listening rather than watching you can't see me doing air quotes here um but it, it makes even normal remote working different right mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's that's very true yeah and no, of course the um the, the last year has been an accelerant for all of us uh, kind of getting used to working remotely um mm -hmm. so yeah it's been a been a bit of an experience um cool and then um so i'd love to jump to a, a certain blog post that uh, that, that you wrote um yeah. and uh, the title of that was people ops as a product um can you kind of give us the uh, the background as to you know what the essence of that blog post was and uh, how did it come about yeah so the essence of the blog post i think is I believe there is a better way to approach people operations and human resources, whatever you want to call it, human capital management for my folks at Goldman Sachs, where I used to work. Um, in my opinion, there are kind of two sides to the job. There are the, the, the human sides, the things that uh, no algorithm or system or tool could ever do. And that's like talking to people about their career progression, having coaching conversations, understanding the kind of granular detail of qualitative feedback that people are giving you um, and so much more. And then the other side of the job is building tools and systems for people to use. Um, and I think that side of the job is very, very similar to that of a product manager in a subscription product. Um, there's quite a lot of crossover and I've really, I, I tried in that blog post to talk about how you can build your team that's functions a lot like a product squad so that you can ship more tools, more systems, more processes to better enable your team and create a better uh, employee experience, which is, in my opinion, what the product is that you're kind of the product manager for. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so, um, and so, really making that direct comparison, then you're you're kind of comparing the the customer lifecycle in a in a subscription product to the employee lifecycle within um, within the business. Yeah, absolutely. There are lots of crossovers and. Um, I actually did a keynote where I even drew the life cycle and kind of said, like, I think these points are very similar. But when you think about like, you know, an, an, an employment contract in a lot of senses is like a product that every single month you continue to subscribe to. Um, and at one point you decide, actually, I want to cancel my subscription, give them a month's notice and leave. Right. So if you think about it from that perspective, then there's all these stages that happen within that, like there's upselling kind of similar to a promotion. You kind of want someone to do extra stuff or get involved in extra pieces. Now, the difference here is, more often than not, people want to get promoted than be upsold to. But, you know, there's obviously no analogy is perfect. Um, you've got the uh, whole marketing funnel, and that's very similar to employer branding and the way that you do kind of warm candidacy. Um, and then you have this process of onboarding someone onto your product and making them feel like they really are glad that they subscribed. This is the right decision for them, right? Yeah. Um, we can even compare in some regards like a free trial to the probationary period where most people are likely to churn. That's the kind of highest churn period outside of the kind of two years mark. Um, and when you think about it that way, and you start looking at things in like our team uses sprints and we focus on, you know, product improvements and shipping small iterative changes that um, managers can kind of look after and use. Um, it starts, I think, to make the whole people experience a little bit more commercial uh, or the people function more commercial. Mm -hmm. And also I think it just makes you more productive. At least I feel like our team is shipping more stuff. Um, and the stuff is very useful because we're taking that mindset of like, how do we help people solve the problems that they're having so that they have a, they're more likely to continue subscribing rather than how do we solve for engagement, which feels so 
it feels ephemeral or something like engagement, such a strange metric. I've always really struggled to kind of just solve for engagement. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think I'm, I'm rambling a bit now, but um, it kind of, the, the idea kind of came to me a bit through working a lot more with products and really, really understanding how they work and being really impressed by so much of what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, I've really admired the engineering culture um, approach to open source and sharing things and events. And I think people operations functions have taken a lot from that culture lately. And mm-hmm. um, you find a lot more communities now that are sharing ways of working and really learning from how engineers spread knowledge. Yeah. Um, and I think the same, same is definitely true for products. And I think there's other functions too that everyone can learn off. Um, but I had a moment, I think, where I was talking to somebody that, you know, I suggested that something, you know, they, they said they had a problem. It's like a peer, right? They said they had a problem. I suggested a solution just an idea um, and their reaction back to the solution was oh it wouldn't be very good for reporting like it wouldn't work with the way that we do our reporting to do that solution mm-hmm. and I was like I've never heard a marketing person or a product person ever say that like if it solves the problem they would never say oh it doesn't work with our reporting so we're not going to do it yeah it's just such a crazy different headspace that I was like I really feel like people need to at least think about and challenge that presumption that reporting is more and process is more important than kind of solving problems. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and so you, you wrote this blog post um, sort of in this second half of last year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and where would you say you are on this journey then? Like, is this something that you've been doing for a while now, or um, are you still kind of figuring this out for, for yourself at whereby? Yeah. So it's something that I've been kind of doing for a while in a way, but whereby gave me the opportunity to really build my whole team with this in mind. Um, it, I, I mean, I, I hasten to, say, I don't want to say experiments. I definitely don't, don't want my team to think that they're like, you know, subject matters in some kind of grand experiment. And they're definitely not. They're doing a fantastic job. Um, and I also don't want the board and our investors to be like, what is the VP people doing at whereby? Um, but, you know, it's definitely a, a non-traditional way to have built a team. And whereby is the first time I've ever really had the chance to like, properly 100% invested into this structure but I've done I've used this methodology before in the past like I I did this at Wonderbly um, to some degree I did this in some of my um, consulting roles and I've been doing this at various companies in different ways over the last um, kind of couple of years Uh, Mm -hmm. but this is the first full flesh out of building a team with an engineer and a marketer and a customer success person who are now all people operations people. Okay, yeah, and so let, let's let's talk a little bit more about that then. So these these people that you have on your team, as you say, they um they they have skill sets that are, are not traditionally HR. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and so are you are you bringing them into your team and then um, utilizing the skill sets that they have from their functional expertise and applying that to the HR department and helping them kind of figure out the HR stuff along the way. Yeah. So the way that it's built is we have um, Jessie, who's an engineer. Um, she comes from engineering and she's now the engineering people partner. Um, so she is the partner with them on all the human operations side of stuff. Um, and then in our squad, she is the kind of, she has a good insight on the technical way to work stuff, but also on what the engineers need. Um, Ashley, same thing, but for marketing, comes from a marketing background. And then Helen, same thing, but for customer success. She was previously a head of customer success. She's worked in sales. So she understands how uh, to think about the way that they work in terms of how we should kind of make products or make, you know, tools, whatever you want to call them. Um, so an example I often give, which I think is a good one to explain how we work, is like, think about the problem of uh, holiday bookings. 
Um, so this is a pretty common problem at a startup about 50 to 100 people. People start booking holidays and people are booking holidays over the top of each other. Um, you've got a lot of people booking holidays kind of suddenly. Uh, you've got people kind of clashing with projects and it all becomes a bit unmanageable, right? Um, and very often what you see the solution be or become is, well, let's just write a policy. The VP people usually write it or the head of people. Let's write a policy that says you have to give us a month's notice or you're not allowed to take your holiday. Um, and if you're booking over the top of someone else, it's first in best dressed, which like if you're thinking about it, if you were a subscriber to a product and they treated you like that, you'd like, you'd probably give them the finger to be frank. Like I, I would be pretty upset if someone made me feel kind of patronized and infantilized uh, by telling me that I can't do something unless I struck for the strict process and policy. It doesn't feel aligned with a lot of companies values either. Um, and I always kind of scratch my head about why people operations weirdly enough are allowed to do that kind of stuff which feels so anti like anti it is the opposite of the values that a lot of these startups have some of the ways that people ops functions yeah. kind of operate um so the way that our team would kind of solve that problem uh would be you know jesse might implement a little slack bot that says you know you haven't used holiday this quarter just popping up to remind you that maybe it's a good time here's some days in the next month that no one has holiday booked that you could you know take a day just a prompt behavior mm-hmm. um Ashley might write like an internal newsletter that goes out during holiday downtime, like when there's when people are less likely to book holiday, but maybe still want it to say, hey, reminder, this, you know, holiday um, vacation locations you may want to go to or, uh, you know, something else. And then also she could track the reporting on how these different um, campaigns and things are going. Um, and Helen might help us by partnering with another company, for example, like Booking.com or Airbnb saying, if you book holiday six months in advance, we'll give you a free night's accommodation wherever you want to go. Um, so those kind of programs feel more aligned to the way that we work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yes, a bit more complicated to build, but if you kind of break those problems out into two-week sprints, you can kind of ship all three of those things within a two, three-month period and have a better way to try and solve your problems. At least also data on like, which things work, which things do your team respond back to, which they, which things do they like, which things are useless. So mm-hmm. you can better learn for next time rather than just a blanket policy that you learn not a lot from and maybe disengage a bunch of your team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super cool and make, makes it makes a, a ton of sense to, uh, to, to operate that way. And um, as you say, like the, you know, um, the employee experience is ultimately what you're trying to drive, you know, drive, drive forward. Right. And, uh, and, and doing, um, these these kinds of initiatives in in that in that structure feels like a, a great way to go. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and so c- coming coming back to to your team, um, I'm kind of interested as to how you recruited for those roles because obviously, um, you know, thinking about how you would write a, a job description saying that you know come and be an engineer on the people operations team feels like a strange pitch. How how did you go about that, and how what were the conversations like with uh, with candidates when you were hiring for those roles? I actually had a really weird experience. I posted it on like a recruitment, uh, like maybe not a subreddit, but like maybe even a discord. Like I posted it somewhere and I had this recruiter send me this hate mail. <laughs> like oh, wow. there already aren't enough jobs for recruiters and people as people. And now you're giving everything to engineers. Engineers get everything already. And I was like, wow, I really didn't think that this was going to ruffle anybody's feathers, but mm-hmm. apparently people quite, you know, people found it quite shocking, but um, honestly, I just wrote a job spec that said, hey, if you're working in engineering, you really like the people up side of things or really like management or want to become an engineering manager, but, you know, can't see yourself 
working in engineering for the next couple of years and want a different path, then talk to me about this job. Um, and I reached out to a bunch of engineers that uh, on their LinkedIn profiles or their GitHub or their Twitter or whatever, they had already taken a kind of a lean towards people ops. They were talking about, mm -hmm. you know, how to do better interviews or how to manage a team or how to give feedback. Um, and I think there's this like kind of presumption that because someone's an engineer, they don't want to try different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but actually I had a lot of candidates and a lot of really great candidates. I, you know, we got to the final round and there was some really, really fantastic people that we, we turned down uh, last year. Um, and the same was true for the marketing and customer service, right? Like, um, I think the thing that I really like about the engineering role in our team is that um, particularly women um, statistically struggle to break into engineering management because they have to spend a long period of time as a technical expert in engineering before they're allowed to really shine at the people operation side of stuff or the people mm -hmm. management side of stuff. Um, so it becomes a bit of a glass ceiling for women. That's why you, one of the reasons why you see a lot of women not remain in engineering management and not get those skills they need. And maybe they're also managed by not very good managers themselves, right? So they don't get to become what they want to be. And for some of them, of course, it's to remain a technical expert, but for some of them, they want to become engineering managers and lead a team. Um, and we try to offer a path where you can actually do that in our team. So you can be a, a relatively junior engineer and step into the people operations team, still do coding, still work with the engineering team all the time. Um, and then maybe have a chance of moving into an engineering leadership position or an engineering manager role because you've kind of got the skills that you need to have. There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Interesting. That I think that's super cool. And so, um, and, and so then very uh, practically then, the, these people at the moment report into you, but then do they have dotted line reports into, let's say, the VP of engineering within Whereby as well? Or is it more, you know, more separated at this point? Well, it's just like a, any people partner um, kind of reporting line, I guess. So they have a reporting line into me, but the majority of their kind of human ops work happens with, uh, and also a lot of the reporting on how they're actually doing day to day happens with the leads of the function. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, if a team is having an issue, let's say, let's say marketing is really struggling with something, um, you know, our marketing people operations partner, it's her role to speak to the team, kind of disseminate the feedback that's being given, understand the kind of broader picture, come with to the people up team with some solutions, say, you know, holidays a problem or feedback is a problem. Here's some ideas what we could do, help set up some sprints and release a project. And then of course I'll ask the marketing uh, CMO or the marketing directors, like how, how do you feel like the people operations partner went in solving those problems? Um, so they're responsible, I guess, for giving the majority of the feedback that leads me to understand the performance um, mm. outside of just pure people operations. Understood, okay, very cool. And, uh, and then you mentioned uh, earlier that you've always found um, engagement a, a kind of a tricky metric to, um, to, to sort of uh, tr try and improve. And so in your team, then, how are you like measuring your success? What metrics are you looking at and how, how do you know if this is, is working out long term? Yeah, so we're, we're doing two things. Um, so the first thing we do is we do this uh, test called the RANDS test, which I really love. It's a engineering test um, that I've kind of co-opted and edited somewhat. Um, but basically it asks like 12 questions, which are yes, no questions. Um, and it gives you a score at the end. And it's basically, it's just testing the people ops infrastructure. So it's questions like, do you have a regular one-to-one? -one? 
Do you find that one-to-one -one useful? Do you have a regular team meeting? Do you find that team meeting useful? Do you find yourself doing lots of status reports and uh, updates rather than strategic work? Um, and you get a plus or a minus point depending on the outcome, right? Um, and that gives us a read on like, do we have the basics in place? Because you can have a, a team that are saying they're very, very engaged, but they don't have what regular one-to-ones, they don't have team meetings, they don't have you know, communication structures. You know, if, if those things don't exist, then I actually don't really believe that you can't be doing your best work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and someone might say, I 10 out of 10 recommend you to work, like I recommend working at this place because they have free coffee and free, I don't know, bring your dog to work policy. Yeah. Um, but I don't really want to know if people are happy with the bring your dog to work policy and the coffee. I want to know if they're having regular one-to-ones, feeling engaged with the work that they're doing, feeling like doing strategic work. That's more important to me. So that's that's a series of questions we ask. We used to ask it every quarter. We now ask it every year because we've moved on to we got we started getting kind of perfect scores, um, which is a good place to be. And you should constantly check that that remains the case. Mm -hmm. um, but now we use a tool called Platypus, and what Platypus does is it asks everyone in your company to stack rank their values um, and what they care about most. And I, I mean values, not like you know integrity, honesty. I mean values like diversity, inspiring leadership, transparency, like business values, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it gives you a, a print of the entire company and then you can ask specific segments of that how we're doing on those values. So if someone says, for example, I really, really care about transparency, like that's a 10 out of 10 important for me, like transparency is the thing that makes me most engaged. We can ask everyone that's given a 10 out of 10, how are we tracking on transparency for you? And see that that is a better driver for engagement than just asking 10 out of like one to 10, how would you recommend this because if you ask somebody that you know if you ask everyone what do you how do you feel about uh transparency for example and most people feel kind of middling about it you're going to be isolating a huge amount of your team so mm -hmm. it just basically gives you a better way of understanding how the tools and processes and things you're implementing actually impact people's genuine feelings about the values that they share with the business um, and that's what we're using at the moment. And you can also have spot checks about like various things as well. Interesting. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And so the, um, the, the, the survey that you mentioned at first, that was the RANDS survey. R-A-N-D-S. If you look up RANDS test, yep. you'll see a blog. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really good. Cool. Awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll be sure to, uh, to link that in the, in the show notes. Um, and so um, coming back to sort of how you operate as a team, you mentioned that you work in sprints mm -hmm. um, and, and can you kind of go into like the, you know, the tactical details? How, how do you work as a team? What do your meeting structures look like? Um, you know, how do you, how do you manage your, uh, your like people up squad? Yeah. So we have, um, we work into sprints in what we call three month epics. Um, so at the start of every quarter, we will get together for a retrospective where we look about the previous quarter and how things went to give feedback, same as any retro, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we also do a planning session like a day later or a couple of days later. Um, and in that planning session, based on the feedback from Platypus and the RANS tests um, and also kind of qualitative feedback we've talked about during the quarter, we will have decided um, on, I will have decided generally actually on three different epic options we could have. Um, and any three of those epics would be things that would push the strategy in the right direction. So for example, it could be an epic focused around learning and development, an epic focused around embedding values, an epic focused around employer branding. So I would give the team three options. 
And we go through a process of looking at the different data that we have from different teams, the feedback, talking through different ideas of projects that we think uh, would really kind of push that in the right direction. And we land on, uh, you know, two to three projects that we think that we can ship that quarter that associate with that epic. Um, so for example, the epic we're doing right now is all around the life cycle of working at Whereby. Um, we, we noticed that there was a lack of clarity of exactly how the different tools we were shipping connected to each other. And they lacked a kind of underpinning that connected the whole uh, kind of employee experience. So the projects that we're shipping out of that is a progression framework. Uh, we're also shipping a guide, which is like a big handbook with every single process we do in people operations, like beautifully illustrated and you can see all the different stages of it. And then the final thing is a management guide that is a kind of baby version of that for managers to say, if you're a manager, this is the stuff that you need to be thinking about while your employee works for you. Um, so we decide on those projects. Uh, someone in the team decides if they want to lead one of those projects and then they go away and break it down into how do we get from today an idea to somewhere between you know six to 12 weeks away a fully shipped piece of work that solves a problem this problem that we talked about in um, our retrospective and planning session and then they'll break down all those steps so like well the first week we'll do ideation and come up with some inspiration the second week we'll do some research and start sending surveys out or start looking into market research what other what are other companies doing Third week, we'll set metrics, like what metrics we do, do we want to be reaching for. Fourth week, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then in the, we'll break that down into sprints. Um, and then every week we catch up, uh, we have a head of the sprint, the beginning of the sprint, and a kind of midweek, uh, mid-sprint check-in, where we talk about what needs to happen, who's been delegated what, how we're tracking. Um, and we also have a mid-quarter check-in, where we have a full hour where everyone presents where they're up to. Um, and we have a chance then to kind of what we say ruthlessly ruthlessly reprioritize you know if things have come up that have changed the change the way that we need to ship something we will take that opportunity to say let's cut this whole section out or let's actually remove this project for now or let's change you know the shipping dates um and have that kind of chance to do that so that happened actually yesterday um and then we finished the quarter with doing the same two-week sprints and then we ship the projects and do the whole thing again Okay, interesting. And um, and and so, um, is that kind of instead of OKRs, or are some of these initiatives like formulated into OKRs? Yeah, we do have OKRs because we have company OKRs. Mm -hmm. Um, so our planning sessions happens around the same time as our OKR setting. Um, so I always make sure like that's my responsibility. I'm accountable for making sure our projects match our company OKRs that we're delivering to the board. Yeah. Um, so this quarter, our company OKRs are. Uh, or our, sorry, our people operations OKRs that are connected to the company ours, OKRs are around uh, everyone in our company having had a career progression conversation in the last year, um, everyone in the company being paid fairly, which is connected to the progression framework and career, I'm sorry, compensation methodology I just published fairly recently, um, and uh, everyone having some understanding of what might be next for them in their career. So um, kind of they're going to be based off surveys we run at the end saying how many of you have had a conversation about career how many of you have some idea about what might be next and mm -hmm. how many do you believe are compensated fairly awesome very cool and uh, and so one last question before we uh, sort of shift gears a little bit um lots of our audience are uh, obviously um also senior level the uh, like people operations leaders Mm -hmm. um for somebody listening to this and if this was uh, sort of like a, an entirely new way of thinking about 
managing their team for them. What would your sort of first steps or advice be for somebody that was considering um, implementing this? I don't think you need to kind of scrap your current people operations team. <laughs> That's the first thing that people ask is like, well, what am I supposed to do with my current people team? I can't just like fire them and get engineers. Like, no. Um, you know, I've never met, uh, I've never had anybody in my team, people operations or otherwise, uh, who have not had a real genuine interest in being more commercial, learning more stuff um, and broadening their role. Um, and I think it, if you want to do this, you can start teaching product management best practices to your team, like go to a product management course, read more about product, have um, some members of your team go and do like a coding bootcamp or a product bootcamp um, and just have them understand how that works. How do sprints work? Sp sit down with your design team or your product team and actually just listen to their sprint planning and say, what can we take from this? How can we take this on? If you can start work, starting to work towards working in sprints and working on projects and kind of using data to inform which projects you want to do and then shipping them. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would be, take, you know, take you a long way. And then what you can gradually do is start identifying who in your team might be more aligned to taking on the technical responsibilities. And maybe they'll never be an engineer, but they, you know, can hire an engineer consultant, you know, two or three days a week during peak periods of your pro project where you need an engineer support. Um, and who is most aligned to kind of the employer branding, the marketing, the analytics side of stuff um, and get them to, you know, really focus on that um, and start kind of trying to build this squad where people have those responsibilities. So when they come together, they're a harmonious squad rather than three people ops people who just do what I call Russian doll versions of each other's job, where everyone's just doing a slightly bigger version of the same thing. It's not an efficient way of getting stuff done, in my opinion. Got it. Cool. Thank you. Um, and so sh shifting gears then, so um, in, in terms of your career to date, um, you've, you've now held a number of, uh, of senior level roles across different companies and you've also consulted with a, a number of, uh, of companies as well. Um, I'm curious as to, you know, what, what do you typically like try and tackle in the first few months in, in those roles? And are there any common themes that you spot where, uh, you know, that often there are, there are sort of a you know, things that you, you, you often know or you observe that need to, uh, need to be fixed, let's say? Um, I don't, you know, I used to think about common themes. There are definitely trends of different size companies that you join. Like you'll see similar things happen at the kind of 50 people mark. You'll tend to see some churn happen at the kind of 100 and 150 mark. And you need to be thinking about that you'll tend to see a pretty bad org structure crack start happening around the 50, 75 to 100 mark. Like those things are kind of, they're, they're the trends you tend to see. Um, in terms of like mistakes founders make or mistakes that, you know, maybe hiring mistakes that I see every time or, uh, you know, bad pro policies and projects that have been implemented that I have to kind of come and rip out. I don't, you don't, I don't tend to see very many trends in that perspective because, the, you know, founders leadership, policy cultures they're just so different mm -hmm. um that uh something that works really well in one company just won't work at all in another one um and i think approaching it as like oh here's that trend of this thing that's bad might actually shoot you in the foot sometimes um but yeah i think it's i think it's more structural it tends to be more structural like to know kind of the patterns a company goes through and people go through ahead of time is really beneficial because it really helps you set your strategy and your kind of roadmap ahead of time and say like, you know, I, I kind of know that we'll probably have some structural changes um, 
uh, either people deciding that the size is too big for them at Whereby, you know, we've gone from 25 to 150 over the next six months, um, or us realizing that managers can't manage that many people. We need to kind of start getting new leaders and shifting stuff around. Um, and I've known that for months. So I've already prepared myself that like, okay, well, in the next couple of months now, this is a thing that I've got room for in my kind of schedule. <laughs> um, so I think that that's the most helpful thing. Got it. Cool. Thank you. And um, and then coming back to um, you know, something sort of very tactical, obviously, uh, in, in your role as, as VP, you're going to be managing the, the HR budget. Um, and uh, and I, I know that uh, in one of your previous roles at Wonderbly, I believe you worked with an HR analyst. Um, yeah. And uh, can you talk us through that process? Like, what, what did that look like? Um, and, you know, why, why, did you, uh, why did you choose to do that? Yes. So Wonderbly was a very seasonal and still is a very, very seasonal company. Um, they sell children's books if you're out there not, uh, not knowing what Wonderbly is. Um, and because of that, we had this kind of very crazy kind of roadmap where basically nothing can happen except for selling books and keeping the website up for like two months of the year, for like November and December kind of it has to be the whole company has to turn its attention to like keeping the website working and keeping our production cranking out books millions of books all over the world um and for that reason recruitment has to completely stop in kind of end of august start of september because we realized that anyone that joined in october november and december was either extremely unhappy and it took us a year to turn it around or they churned um, they just left. They, mm. they, they just couldn't. They either they decided that it wasn't for them, or we decided that it wasn't for us, right? And that that wasn't really acceptable. So we didn't have a huge amount of cash at this point. Um, you know, we were really working very hard to start getting towards uh, being self reliant, um, which means you have to be very very mindful about how you spend money. And when we did have recruitment, because we've been kind of saving it up from like September to January. All of a sudden we had a new year, new budget, heaps of cash just coming from the Christmas period mm. and recruitment went wild, right? So all of a sudden we had 25, 30 open roles and we needed someone to look after them. Now, it didn't make a lot of sense for us headcount wise or money wise to hire a full-time permanent recruiter all year because half the year they were just doing like sourcing, prepping for the next year. And it didn't make a lot of sense for us to um, hire somebody to help us plan for um uh, january february march because when the planning happened we were just so focused on delivery that they would have had nothing to do so mm. the way i decided to do it was we hired a uh recruiter that worked for us from january until august or september and they worked really hard on delivering all of our recruitment and then we had an analyst that worked from august until january on looking over through all of the data that we've collected and created, looking over our entire roadmap, what we'd shipped, what we hadn't shipped, our snags, our concerns, and then helped me work out what do you need to focus on when you get this cash in the bank in January and you need to run full steam ahead. Um, and they presented like the different options, the data, they did surveys, they did all of that for like four months during that um, kind of period where everyone was working um, so that they could deliver, I could start delivering straight away in January, and it worked. It worked really well, in my opinion. I think it, it worked well. Cool. And and so, what were the um the, the sort of deliverables from that then? That was everything from headcount planning to new tooling to you know everything and yes, everything else. headcount planning, roadmap planning with me as well. So, for example, I had some gut feels from you know the data which things might be right to implement, but they went through and really like kind of looked so a good, good example actually was benefits like we had a feeling our benefits were maybe a weak spot 
they went through and did a lot of research into our current benefit offerings, the kind of sentiment towards benefits, what our competitors were doing, whether people were churning because of benefits, whether people were at risk of churning because of benefits, trying to understand like how important is this problem? How does it stack rank against other structural problems that maybe people don't talk about as much because they can't articulate? So someone will talk about benefits because you understand it if you're not in people ops, but you may not talk about a you know compensation methodology you might just talk about your salary and that that's a, it's a very different conversation that needs to be had so mm. yeah that the the job would be to kind of really understand and get under the skin of the problems help stack rank them and say like this is the, actually the most important one you'll get the most value out of and then i would uh, kind of build my roadmap based on that um, and also give me an assessment of how successful the things we had launched were um through the same process like asking questions doing surveys looking at the market research um and uh we you know, the, and the year that I left, the things that we were looking at were, you know, benefits, diversity and inclusion in the leadership team. Like how impactful was that uh, issue if we tried to kind of really dive into solving it? Kind of what solutions could we put in place? How much would it cost? How long might that take? Would we see returns, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Excellent. And, um, and so thinking about career progression, um, particularly within, within HR and people ops, um, what would your advice be for somebody who is, is kind of thinking about taking that next step into a VP level role? Um, hmm, it's a good question. I think the, I think it's really important that you people moving into VP level roles don't underestimate the commerciality of the job. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to be an incredibly commercial player in the strategy of a company. Um, and it, I think it is quite easy sometimes to fall into, uh, and I, I don't want to discredit the work that gets done around some of the more kind of, I don't want to say cultural, but maybe like well-being or uh, the pieces of work that aren't it's easy to do a lot of work that feels nice and has a nice impact, but doesn't touch the commercials of the company. Um, so one of the suggestions I would make is, you know, really understand, uh, you know, sit with your executive team and really understand what kind of company are we trying to build in terms of our organizational design? What kind of goals do we want to reach with that organizational design? Like there's a big difference between an Amazon and a DeepMind. It's a massive difference between and you know, an ASOS and a, uh, a Cardo, two delivery companies with very different approaches. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're trying to do something, you as a people operations have a unique opportunity to kind of massively impact the financials of the companies and the, the ability to reach those goals through the kinds of organization you design. And those decisions are more than just, you know, hiring the headcount manager's request and making them happy. Those decisions include building an organization that works well together, understanding how those different levels can interact, understanding how different uh, senior leaders in the company uh, vision their departments uh, working and challenging them and whether or not those different visions work together in a cohesive way. Um, and I think that, you know, thinking about your role as a really commercial part of the business really does elevate your ability to deliver um, really exceptional work, I think. Yeah, that, I think that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and obviously, uh, in, in that role, you're going to be working extremely closely with either founders or um, the, the, the C-level execs. And um, have you sort of uh, 
managed to find any secrets in terms of evaluating, you know, what those, I don't know, how successful that relationship will be ahead of time? Or, um, or you know, maybe you could tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, what do you think makes for a good relationship between a, a VP people um, and, uh, and the, and the C-level? Yeah, I think the most important thing is like trust. Um, I People operations have a very kind of unique role in a lot of senses where you're a peer with everyone in the executive team, but in a lot of ways you kind of, you kind of aren't. You kind of know things about members of the executive team that other members of the executive team might not know about each other. You have a greater leverage on the cult, kind of culture and the ways of working than some other members of the executive team. So that puts you in a slightly, you, you can be in a bit of a sore thumb position, I think, for some people. And I think you need to, it, it's sometimes hard to allow yourself to kind of fall into that. But also you need a huge amount of trust and support from the CEO who you report into to be able to do your job really effectively with uh, you know, those unique parts of it. And, you know, other executive teams have other unique parts, right? Like, you know, marketing is has similar sore thumb kind of uh, elements in terms of how customers perceive the brand. And that's very different than how the rest of the executive team get treated when we're talking about customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're talking about, you know, people, performance, happiness, people look at you and it's a very different relationship, right? So it's a really important thing to have a lot of trust from your CEO or your founder that you're, that you're making the right decisions because you're otherwise it can feel a little lonely, I think. Um, and I would, you know, I've been bitten by founders before that talks a good talk and then didn't actually want to follow through with that. I think, okay, you know, ask a lot of questions. Um, and ultimately this is somebody that is going to have to uphold your you know maybe not the exact same vision of what kind of organization you want to build and there'll always be differences right like i you know reach points with my ceo all the time where i'm like look i disagree but i'm happy to go with your opinion on this that's fine mm-hmm. um the one thing you can't disagree with is how to treat people and uh the ethics i think of uh, you know the company the way of paying people the legalities and if you start seeing those things get infringed upon it will make you incredibly unhappy but also it will make it very difficult for you to do your job well. Um, so I, I would say ask a lot of questions deeply around not just what they think about what they would like to do, but what have they done in the past? Because people can very easily say what they would like to do in, a, in like lots of nice eloquent words, what they hope and dream. But when you know push comes to shove and you need to make a tough decision, will your founder stick to the ethics that you need them to stick to is a, is a very difficult question. And it can leave a lot of people, partners and people, VP people in, in very difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. And I, so I have two, two last questions to, uh, to close out. Um, yeah. First one, are there um, any particular sort of like trends or developments in, in HR that you are particularly excited about and you know, where, where do you see uh where do you see like the industry as a whole going? Um, and, and then secondly, as a, as a follow-up, like are there any um, really kind of thorny problems in HR that you think are still unsolved and that you, uh, if you could wave your magic wand, you would, uh, you would like to be able to solve? So where are they going? I think, I think people versus is going into a much more commercial direction. 
much less focused around uh, planning company parties, which, uh, you know, or like managing the office, which has always been the bane of my existence. I, you know, I've always managed facilities as well for the last couple of roles and it's tough. Um, so I'm glad that that kind of stuff is going away. It's becoming more of a strategic commercial, you know, part of the, the org where you're expected to be presenting in board meetings and you're presented, you know, I think boards and VCs are now really, kind of not just understanding, because I think they've understood for a long time, but demanding that CEOs and founders have your VP people up and present about how you're going to improve the business through the people that you're bringing into the team. Mm -hmm. um, so I see that that direction, and I think that's really positive. Um, and I think it's super liberating to a lot of fantastic people, operations people, and really allowing them to kind of do their best work, which is great. Um, and thorny problems. I mean, there's like, there's a, things I complain about all the time um one of them is engagement surveys I really hate engagement surveys and I, I I don't like the team having to constantly be filling out these little surveys all the time I wish there was a better way to do that kind of stuff that isn't just lots of little forms all the time I think marketing might even say the same thing to you like they have there's like metrics in product and marketing of things like time spent on product or you know time spent interacting with other people that doesn't feel like the right thing that you can do in people operations. This is there's something missing on exactly how do you get in under the skin of like whether people are delivering work they're proud of, um, and in a way that they're proud to to deliver it. So I think there's work to be done there, and I, I don't really like the current. You know, I like I like Platypus a lot, but it's still a very small small product. It's still in beta. Mm -hmm. I don't really like a lot of the other engagement tools that are out there. Not because I don't think they're doing a good job at all. I actually think that a lot of them are doing a fantastic job and great reporting. I just don't know if the right question, we're not getting, I don't know if we're getting under the skin of it yet. Okay, understood. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then there's also some questions around uh, how to do a better job of diversity uh, and inclusion. That's something that I'd love to, you know, that's just me asking like, oh, can I just solve racial inequality? No, I don't, <laughs> that, that's one magic one I'd love to solve. But um, also kind of, how to how to do that in a non-performative way in a company, how to do it effectively and how to report on it in a way that isn't patronizing. It doesn't make people feel they're just a diversity metric. And um, there's a lot in that space, which I think, you know, amazing people are now really starting to think about, which I think is awesome. Yeah, very cool. And uh, with that, I think we should, uh, should, should wrap it up there. So uh, Jessica, thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining us today. This has been a hugely insightful conversation. I hope, uh, hope you've enjoyed it as well. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Over Perks by Leapsum. We're available on the Leapsum YouTube channel and all major podcasting platforms so you can hit subscribe to receive each episode as it's released. We also have an email newsletter and a Slack community where you'll find great resources and discussions on how to build a high-performing, humane and diverse company culture. You can find the link in the show notes or you can head to the resources section at leapsum.com. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.